The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old-school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. In the last chapter, the party limps their way out of the swamp and makes for the safety of the Thangarian Shrine to Gruenmog. As they walk, they debate the possible meanings of Black Nail's poem. Umura sees it as a kind of literal, naturalistic still life made from words, while Gyrio suspects that it is a metaphor for finding balance amid the chaos of life, or possibly of battle. Next, the focus shifts to Sov Merriman, who finally gets a character sheet with fully rolled up stats. The Dark Cleric has undertaken a new mission. He is headed for Black Nail's vault to do what Barrack Ironskin can no longer do on his own. His goal is to retrieve Black Nail's horn. Sov has already covered a lot of ground, having set out several weeks ago. Luckily, for the forces of good, it's a long journey, but he is getting very close now. If the party is to beat him to the punch, they'll need to solve the riddle post-haste. If they are too late, if Sov gets to the horn before they do, well, that cannot be a good thing. The chapter ends with Harl talking his way into Gruenmog's shrine, which is normally closed to non-clerics. He hopes to speak with the wisest dwarf in Thangar, the High Enzo. Perhaps he can provide some guidance. To gain an audience, Harl must put to words a thought that has been haunting him ever since he read Valiador's letter back in Knob's Creek. He accepts a difficult truth. He is now the rightful chief of Dwervar. Acknowledging this also means facing another truth. All the other stone carvers, all of his family, are dead. Between the Lines. The next part of the adventure presents me with something of a pickle. Since I'm playing the roles of both DM and players, how on earth can I run a scenario that hinges on solving a set of riddles? Riddles that I made and know the answers to. What are my options? I could roll against their intelligence scores to see if the PCs solve the riddles. That feels pretty lame though. I could simply decide that they do eventually solve them and instead roll to see how long it takes or I could just have them solve the riddles for the sake of the story. This last option feels too novelist and not enough gamer. Hmm. None of these options seem to work with both sides, unless. What if I reached out to another person and had them play the characters for a while? That would keep my knowing the answers out of the equation. 
course, I'd have to ask someone I really trusted. In the end, this is exactly how I chose to handle the situation. I sent a quick email to Abel Enzo of the Iron Realm podcast and asked him if he'd be willing to participate and help out, and he graciously agreed. So, all of the characters' attempts to solve the puzzle of the riddle and the poem that you will hear in this episode are heavily informed by Abel's reply. Although I originally asked Abel to play Harl alone, in the end, I decided to distribute his ideas between the characters in order to break up the narrative and keep it lively. Chapter 43, Part 1, Day 55, Morning, Party Status, Harl, 21 of 21 hit points, Gyrios, 27 of 27 hit points, Eridine, 13 of 14 hit points, Umura, 16 of 18 hit points. Spells available, Umura has memorized, Shield, Charm Person. Levitate, and Knock. Gyrios has prayed for Cure Light Wounds, times two, and Bless. Umura, Eridine, and Gyrios watched as their armored companion handed a letter through the slit window. Moments later, the door swung open with a metallic groan, and Harl disappeared inside. The door swung shut behind him. I suppose we aren't invited said Umura sarcastically. Eridine shrugged and continued to sharpen her short sword with the whetstone Gyrios had given her. I hope he learned something useful, said Gyrios. He looked up at the sky, enjoying the feeling of sun on his face, and closed his eyes. Umura pulled her newest volume from her pack and quickly became lost in its pages. Instead of being cooler inside the shrine, the air was distinctly warmer, and humid too, and there was a smell, like eggs. Harl was in a square antechamber, with walls and floor of snugly fitted stone blocks. A kind of shallow depression or channel led from the main entrance across the room to a second door. Clearly this depression had been worn over centuries by millions of footsteps. The novice who had opened the door now motioned to a pair of bronze urns set into alcoves that flanked the main door. Please anoint yourself, brother and then come with me. Harl did so, removing his gauntlets and placing a drop of lightly scented and colored oil on the back of each hand. He felt the blessing of Grunmog course through him. It steeled his resolve, and he realized that the truth, his truth, was not a thing he could avoid, nor should he. He was the rightful chief of Dwervar now, and he would do honor to the title if he could. He squared his shoulders and followed. The novice produced a key and opened the other door, Beyond it, the shrine changed completely. Passing this threshold, he departed a place made by dwarven hands and into one made by their creators. As it was unlit, Harl's dark vision took over, revealing a large natural tunnel that opened into a network of other tributaries and caverns. Starting along the right-hand tunnel wall was a vein of bright silver ore. It was as thick as his leg, pure and unmined. It ran the length of the tunnel like a never-ending lightning bolt, and its forking branches touched the floor and ceiling and ran off down side corridors. It was one of the most beautiful things he had ever seen. As they penetrated further into the mountain, Harl began to appreciate the size of the shrine. It was extensive. Minutes passed, and still they walked. The humidity increased, and the eggy smell in the air became stronger. 
The vein of silver led them on. Looking at its lightning bolt shape, Harl could not help but think again of Black Nell's poem. In the middle of the storm, stop and watch the clouds perform. I never thought about it that way, Eredin. Kyrios had his helmet upside down in his lap. The sun shone on his bald head. Eredin noticed that the cleric's skin was still discolored there from the burns. She wondered if it always would be. She had just finished explaining her interpretation of the poem to the others. It has indeed been said that there is a place of calm in the middle of a storm, Kyrios continued. I believe they call it the Eye. Umura looked up from her book and tucked a stray lock of hair behind her ear. Valiador's letter said the poem was more than it seemed. Was it a riddle too? If so, then the answer may well be an Eye, don't you think? Umura nodded. Then we have two riddles and two answers, Fire and Eye. But what of the third riddle? There's something we're not getting. Some piece of the puzzle we lack. Eridine nodded her agreement. Quite so. There is something missing. Something, something lacking. Harl was muttering to himself as he followed the novice down another tunnel. After a while, they came to a stop in an irregularly shaped cavern. Two perfectly straight rails of iron were embedded in the floor, forming an X. After a moment, Harl decided that they most likely indicated the four cardinal directions. The novice turned to Harl and bowed stiffly at the waist. Please wait here. Without waiting for an answer, she strode off through a side passage, leaving Harl alone. It took almost a full minute before Harl realized that she had taken Validor's letter with her. He made a mental note to get it back before he left. With nothing else to do, Harl started pacing, thinking once again about the riddle and the poem. If the poem was also a riddle, that made two riddles. The answers fire and eye felt right, but what of this third riddle? Did he have to put the words together? Fire eye? Might that refer to a gemstone? An agate? Or a garnet? A ruby even? But that didn't really get him any closer to knowing where Black Nell's vault could be. He paced some more. By the stones, it was humid in here. And the smell of sulfur was even stronger than before. Perhaps fire eye did not refer to a gem at all. Fire could refer to the dragon, possibly. Dragon eye? That could be it, but really he still had nothing. Another fifteen minutes passed, and Harl continued to pace, ideas turning over and over in his mind like restless sleepers. From somewhere far off, the sound of footsteps came. They grew louder, and then a sharp-eyed dwarf with a pert black beard and red robes entered the room. Like the novice, this dwarf did not wear an iron mask. Harl wondered where all the solemns were. The red-robed dwarf held forth Valiador's letter. Harl took it and, folding it back into quarters, tucked it inside his breastplate. You bring ill tidings, Harl Stonecarver. The other dwarf's skin was smooth and pink. It made his age hard to guess at. Surely he was older than Harl, but by 50 years? 100? It was impossible to say. Harl regarded his own calloused hands. I must speak with thy Enzo, he said. Nobody speaks with the high Enzo, although in his wisdom he has decided to meet with you. The dwarf paused here and gave Harl a meaningful look. And to read the rust for you, young chieftain, I hope you know what a great honor this is. The rarest of opportunities. I trust you will not squander it. 
He motioned for Harl to walk with him, and as they went, introduced himself as Draylin Arganton, personal assistant to, and speaker for, the High Enzo. Draylin asked Harl everything he knew about Barak Ironskin. Most of all, he wanted to know Barak's intentions, but all Harl could tell him was that the usurper appeared to be looking for Blacknail's vault in order to retrieve the horn. Harl had no idea what the horn could be used for, but he believed that Barak had located the vault by unlocking Blacknail's riddle and poem, and here he shared his own attempts to solve them. He apologized for how little he knew, but that was why he was here. That was why he needed to meet with the High Enzo. Do you know anything of the riddle and the poem? asked Harl. Your interpretation of the poem seems plausible enough. Beyond that, well, I have read what there is to read on the subject. I cannot add much to what you have already said, other than that Blacknail put them on his family crest. Hmm. I was not aware of that, remarked Harl. He wondered if it was important. I think the crest is usually depicted more simply as a ring encircling the crossed hammers. Yes, that is how I have always seen it. At any rate, Valiador Glimmerex thought it terribly important that Barak be stopped, he concluded. It would appear that the High Enzo agrees with him on that point. Ah, here we are. Please remember, you are not to touch him unless he requires it. Draylin led him into a circular room approximately 30 feet in diameter. A bench had been cut into the wall itself and ringed the entire room, broken only by the door they came through and another on the opposite side. A well, sculpted from some kind of pink rock, dominated the room's center. From the ceiling directly overhead and hanging down into the well was a great iron chain with links each as large as Harl's fist. It seemed that all the solemns Harl had expected to see earlier were congregated here. Ten of them occupied the curving bench to his left, each wore a mouthless iron mask and a robe of charcoal gray. Ten silver solemn drums rested atop ten laps. Two more of the silent clerics sat on the opposite side. These wore similar iron masks, but theirs had gray beards spilling out from under them. It appeared to Harl that the left side was for females and the right for males. Between the males sat a third figure, garbed in purest white. This solemn was very small, shrunken even, and looked ancient. Harl guessed it would measure no more than three feet in height and weigh less than 50 pounds. Gossamer white wisps of beard, delicate as spiderwebs, protruded from beneath an iron mask that was somewhat different from the others. It had facial features worked into the iron, features that were ageless, genderless, expressionless. But Harl saw clear, bright, copper-hued eyes shining within the eye holes. This was the High Enzo. Not only the eldest and most potent cleric of Thangar, but one of the most pious men in all of Merith. One of the grey-robed males motioned for Harl to approach, and he obeyed. The High Enzo opened his little hand. The skin was almost translucent. Slowly, Harl lifted his own rough hand, and then placed it in the small one. As they touched, he felt something pulse through him and experienced a feeling unlike anything he had felt before. It was as though his soul had been unfurled like a scroll and read. The High Enzo's hand held his own with barely detectable pressure, but the copper eyes bored into his, unblinking. 
In game terms, the High Enzo is an 8th level cleric. He has access to potent 5th level spells and will use one of them today. Having already cast a spell of No Alignment on Harl, the High Enzo is satisfied that the young dwarf is worthy of the deity's blessing. The spell he is about to cast is called Commune, and here's how it works. When cast, Commune allows the cleric to solicit guidance from Grunmog to answer up to three questions. However, it can only provide yes or no as an answer. The High Enzo will not directly ask the questions. Harl will. He will simply act as an intermediary and interpret the replies. Draylin explains this to Harl and asks if he's ready to begin. Harl feels completely unready, but nods his assent anyway. And so the ritual begins. The female solemns begin to chant and beat their silver drums, while one of the grey-robed males walks to the well and begins to lift the chain, hand over hand, the other approaches Harl. Draylin says that the ritual requires that Harl hand over some personal item made of metal. Something large and flat is best, such as his breastplate or his battle axe. Harl hands over his axe, which the solemn then places across the high Enzo's lap. Hello, this is Dave from the Frankenstein's Role-Playing Game podcast. We'd like you to listen to us, well, because you hear things like this. Knock once for yes, twice for oh, no. How about that? Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes, yes, we can. Very faintly, but you're... You are quite quiet, quiet though. Well, well that's yeah, because I was over you, here because I keep forgetting that if you've got a microphone, you have to be somewhere near it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's almost like sound is a is a physical thing. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to intimidate you guys and make you feel that you're dealing with a professional. So if this is the level of professionalism you're looking for in podcasts, then please do come and join us. The Frankenstein's RPG podcast where we try the truly Herculean task of stitching together the ultimate role-playing game, and by ultimate, we're using it in its very broadest sense, Frankenstein's RPG podcast, available on all good podcast networks. Come and find us. By now, the other male solemn had finished pulling the chain fully from the well. The final ten feet of the chain was wet and terminated in a large golden plum weight. The grey robe selected a length of chain just above where the wetness began, and Harl could see that it was covered in rust and calcium deposits. The cleric brought this part of the chain into a loop and approached the high Enzo, who was now nodding dreamily to the drums as though in a trance. The solemn brought his hands, which Harl saw were now stained with rust and still holding the corroded iron links, over the high Enzo's lap. He shook the chain and timed the drums, causing the flakes and little motes of rust to sift down, sprinkling his axe blade and the Enzo's robe alike. Draylin turned to Harl. Ask, he said. Well, um, all right. Are fire and I the answers to the first two riddles? Harl bit his lip. He hoped that didn't count as two questions. The High Enzo, still swaying slightly, nodded and then tapped the crescent blade of Harl's axe four times with a bony finger. Each tap matched a drumbeat and displaced the powdering of rust that had settled haphazardly across his blade. The Arch Solemn looked intently at the patterns it formed and silently nodded. Harl's heart leapt. He had made a bold move and he had been rewarded. Now they knew two-thirds of the riddle for certain, and he still had two questions left to ask. 
Suddenly, crazily, he felt as though he were living in a game of Hoshgala. In his youth, he had always lost the game due to his inclination for a defensive playstyle. His second question escaped his lips before Prudence could stop it. Is the answer to the third riddle a dragon's eye? Once again, the High Enzo tapped the blade and the little particles of rust jumped and rearranged. When the ancient cleric shook his head from side to side, Harl's mounting sense of triumph crashed and he broke out in a cold sweat. He had wasted something very precious. Suddenly, he became keenly aware that he was in communication with the Supreme Being. He dropped to his knees, pressed his forehead to the floor, and dared to ask the third question. Chapter 43, Part 2, Day 55, Afternoon. Party Status The party status is unchanged. So you failed to answer the riddle? Yes. But you know where the vault is? Also, yes. Harl, I think... I think we're all just a little confused. Umura was trying to keep up with the dwarf, who had come marching out of the shrine a few minutes earlier, ordering them to pack their belongings. He gripped a silver scroll case in his left hand, and his axe in his right. Something about the weapon looked different. They were covering the last few miles to Thangar, and Harl was setting an exhausting pace. As the path went uphill the whole way, Umura found herself struggling to keep up. Harl had been telling them everything that had happened in the shrine as they walked. I chose well for the last question, but still, I could not solve the riddle. What was your last question? Umura wanted to know. I remembered that Draylin. You will remember that he was the speaker for the High Enzo. Yes, yes, go on. I remember. I remembered he had said that the first riddle was written in a ring around Blackdale's family crest and that the poem was written within. To be quite honest, short of another wild guess, it was all I had to go on. Well, that seems wise, replied the sorceress. Turns out that, uh, yes, it, it was. I asked if the third riddle had something to do with the placement of the other two riddles on the crest, and the answer was yes. And, and then what happened? I, uh, I thanked the High Enzo, and the speaker led me back to the entrance. My mind was racing, Umura, trying to solve the problem. I must have been mumbling out loud because Draylin suddenly stopped in the middle of the hall and asked me to repeat what I had said. So I did. I said, the eye within the fire. And that meant something? It did to him, yes. Draylin repeated back to me, the eye in the fire. And when I looked at his face, I saw something, like a light of understanding. It turns out that the Eye in the Fire is a place fairly well known, too, if you are familiar with the Agogen. Which you are not, supplied Umura. Which I am not quite right. Not beyond what any dwarf would know, that it was once the greatest dwarven city ever built, and that the worm Nerenuminax reduced it to ash and ruin. The eye in the fire. What kind of place must it be to have such a name? 
between the lines, the eye in the fire. Like Thangar, the Agrigen was blessed with the gift of geothermally heated springs. While the Thangarian Solemns prized the water as a holy sacrament, the Agrigen used its natural hot springs for a variety of functions, from their luxurious bath halls to the bellies of their foundries where they were pressurized and powered huge works of engineering. The mineral-rich waters even nourished their expansive underground mushroom farms. It exited some distance away from the citadel proper and snaked down the mountaintop fed by those rain clouds of an altitude high enough to pass over the lesser mountains of the Kazmirioth. Between the rains and the springs, the runoff became a mountain stream, and then a small river. It twisted and doubled back, pooled, cascaded over high waterfalls, and even traveled great distances underground. Where it re-emerged a few thousand feet from the bottom, it was a full river reaching for the far-off ocean to the south. Looking down from the minarets atop the citadel walls, the river was invisible. Invisible except at sunset, when the Agrigenites would delight in the way the river's surface caught and reflected bright reds and oranges back up at them. They all agreed that it looked like a river of fire, and so they called it the Fire River, or the Branamirioth in the Dwarven tongue. Near the base of the great mountain, the flow struck a rocky formation, forked around it, and rejoined on the other side. This too was visible from the walls above, and the Agrigenites called it the Eye. It was too far away from their home to be of any practical use to them, but it was beautiful at sunset nonetheless. To the dwarves, the Eye in the Fire was little more, though not less, than a worthy subject for a painting or a poem. For most, it was just one more aspect of the dazzling vista of natural beauty they enjoyed every day. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider lending your support. There are lots of ways to help. You can recommend the show on forums or retweet episode release announcements. Leave a rating or review on your preferred podcatcher, or simply tell a friend. My gratitude to everyone who has done any of these things to help out. Speaking of helping out, here's a review by A. Greeny on the Podbean app. A. Greeny writes, Six out of five stars. Deliriously engaging. I was so transported that finishing the library was like waking from a dream. This masterwork of audio art wouldn't be out of place in a collection of the greats like Mindwebs or the classic Hitchhiker's Guide radio serial, but all the more polished for the learned experience from decades past. The author isn't joking about it being a dark and at times disturbing work, but none of it is for juvenile shock. It can spoil you for other podcasts. This review left me speechless, eh, Greeny? I can't thank you enough for writing it. I'm humbled and overjoyed to receive such high praise. When I started making the show, I wondered if anyone would really get it. The whole premise is kind of weird, after all. It's so gratifying to find that there are people out there who do. My gratitude is also due to those whose voices make the story come alive. Returning to the role of novice is Alicia K, aka Respawn Machine, host of The Night Shift on Twitch, as well as A Silent K on YouTube. Thanks so much, Alicia. I'm also excited to welcome someone who, perhaps more than anyone else, has inspired the show. Playing the role of Draylin Argentin is Abel Enzo, the creator of the Iron Realm podcast. Abel, this episode is dedicated to you. 
For show notes, maps, as well as other thoughts, drawings, etc., etc., please visit taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. If you use social media, find me on Instagram at Tale of the Manticore Podcast, and on Twitter using the handle at Manticore Tale. I can be reached by email too at taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. In the future, I'd like to do a mailbag episode to answer listeners' questions. Have you got a question about the show? Shoot me an email and let me know what's on your mind. The adventure will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Have you ever dreamt of being a superhero? Legends of Superhero Story is a new actual play podcast using the Legends Superhero role-playing game system, available on all podcast platforms. This exciting new superhero tabletop RPG follows our Game Master Jack and our fledgling heroes played by Chad, Emily, Amanda, and Daniel as they work their way through their origin story and beyond. Listen in as they discover their powers and abilities. Let's hope they learn to work together as a team in time to save the world and truly become legends. Legends of Superhero Story is available on all podcast platforms. For more information, follow us on social media at The Legends Cast or visit our website, www.matchplaygames.ca forward slash The Legends Cast. Legends Cast.